The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 432 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is how class action lawsuits are organized. You know, we see media reports on class action lawsuits. Class actions in my own area of research, healthcare, attract a lot of attention. And here's an example. Patricia Seth and Marie Slark are survivors of Ontario, Canada's infamous Huronia Centre for People with Developmental Disabilities. More than two years ago, they launched a class action lawsuit against the um, Huronia Centre, which ended with a $35 million settlement. Now, these two survivors have joined a speaker's series to try to ensure that no one forgets the horrors they endured. As we read these media reports, we see that class actions involve considerable complexities, which is where we, why we have the need for explanations or why those of us who need to understand or want to understand and learn more need the explanations. Now, examples of explanations we need include what actually a class action is, what it seeks to achieve, what its different stages are, what types of harm are there that typically lead to class actions, what the types of decisions are that the court will be asked to make, what the possible outcomes of a class action are, and the implication or implications of these outcomes. And also, finally, what people actually have to do to get involved in a class action. And then there are the broader implications of class actions, which also need to be reckoned with. All of which and more is why our topic, how class action lawsuits are organized, is so important. Now, to discuss the topic, my guest is lawyer Rob Gain. Rob joined Kosky Minsky's class actions group in 2014 after practicing at another leading class action law firm. He has extensive trial experience in class actions and commercial disputes. He's appeared in the Superior Court of Justice and the Ontario Court of Appeal. He's acted as counsel on a range of class actions and commercial litigation matters involving securities, price fixing, conspiracies, consumer products, breach of contract, financial services, insurance and reinsurance disputes, franchise disputes, and professional negligence. So, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Gordon, for having me on your program. You're very welcome. Now, first question for you. Please tell us 
more about your career as a lawyer, especially as it involves class action, class action lawsuits. Rob? Thank you. Uh, I'm an associate at Kosky Minsky, which is a leading class action law firm in Canada. Uh, in addition to class actions, uh, Kosky Minsky is a leader in union side labor relations, civil litigation, and pension benefits law. I've been a lawyer since 2006 and have been practicing in the areas of class actions for uh, about eight years now. Um, before I was called to the bar, I spent what's known as the articling year, which is uh, akin to an apprenticeship program where you work under the supervision of another lawyer for a year before you're able to practice yourself. And I spent that year as a clerk in the Superior Court of Justice. And in that role, I got to work with judges on a variety of, of cases, including class actions. And this provided valuable insight into the judicial decision-making process. It was basically like being given a backstage pass to the system. Uh, to date, my area of focus in class actions has been on institutional abuse and systemic negligence class actions, as well as consumer products, medical products, securities, and price-fixing cases. Right. And I've been... I've been involved in all stages from investigating a claim to appealing the trial decision and everything in between. Right. Okay. Now, please tell us about the work of Kosky Minsky's Class Actions Group. What do they do? Rob? Sure. Our group has uh, specialists that have extensive experience in handling complex class actions in a wide variety of areas. Um, these include residential schools, crown liability, environmental claims, security misrepresentation, employment law, product liability, and consumer protection. We've been recognized as one of the most frequently recommended class action groups in Canada, and we have been involved in many of the landmark cases, often the first of their kind in Canada. And we've been successful in changing the law and providing a voice uh, for, for those who have been affected. Now, please tell us, this gets down to the nitty-gritty, please tell us what a class action is and give us an overview of what the stages are. Rob? Sure. Um, a class action is basically a procedural device for people who have suffered a common wrong. So what that means is that the, the harm that's been suffered by a person is not limited just to a single person or individual, but that it has wide-reaching effects and has affected many people. So a class action is a procedural vehicle where one plaintiff can bring an action on behalf of many and in this way, we have an efficient mechanism to achieve a legal remedy. And basically, there are five stages to a class action. Stage one would be starting the lawsuit. And this involves the, the regular steps that any plaintiff would have, which is finding a lawyer, instructing them, explaining to them the harm that they suffered, a detailed factual investigation, 
and then the actual drafting of a lawsuit and filing it and serving it on the defendant. And once that's done, it triggers um, stage two, which is known as certification. And that's just the name that's used for the motion that's brought that is essentially the court's permission to bring it as a class action. And the certification motion doesn't involve any of the merits of the claim. It's not about who's right or wrong at this stage. It's just about whether this particular case meets the test for what constitutes a class action. Um, in the event the case is certified, it can proceed along the regular litigation process, which involves exchanging documents, out-of-court questioning of key witnesses, and preparation for trial. And then we get to stage three, which is a trial of the common issues. And what that means is that the trial is about the things that the case has in common with everyone. So a judgment on the common issues binds everyone who's in the class. And after there's been a determination of the common issues, there's the possibility of a stage four, which is the determination of any individual issues. So things that might uniquely affect uh, a member of the class that's unique to them and not common would be determined afterwards. And there's many different mechanisms that that can take place, but it's often um, by a referee who's appointed by the judge to deal with these things outside of the courthouse. And then the final stage, stage five, would be to distribute any damages. So if the plaintiffs are successful and there's um, funds or money to be distributed, there's a claims process that's designed to, so that people can come forward and claim their share of the proceeds. Now, let me just ask you a little bit more about the, the sort of broad detail, of, so to speak, of what you've just been describing. First off, um, how many people typically would be involved in a class action? And are there any upper limits um, on the number of people who can be involved? Rob? Um, no, there are no upper limits, um, and in Ontario, all you need is one or more persons who are affected to constitute a class action. It's not necessary for you to have more than one person named as the plaintiff in the lawsuit, so you don't need to sign up you know, dozens or hundreds of people as a class actions lawyer to bring one of these cases. It's a good idea to have one or two. Uh, one is the minimum. Um, but the largest case that I've been involved in, um, we, had, we had only named three plaintiffs, but the class size, the number of people who were affected by our case was 1.8 million. Yeah, yeah. Now, Still on this question of sort of how it, how it shapes up in a way, roughly how long from somebody striding into your office saying, I want to launch a class action um, through to the point that it's ended and whatever the, um, 
whatever the settlement is, has been agreed to. Oh, what typically would be the timing of that? Unfortunately, there is no standard process for that. Um, we're seeing a lot more trials in the class actions realm, so there would be no settlement. Uh, and trials can take a very significant amount of time. Um, just getting court time and a judge to hear your case can sometimes take over two years um, added to the process. So um, it's not uncommon for a case to take between five to eight years, sometimes faster, sometimes longer. Right. Now, talking of time, we've reached the point where we take the short break. And the uh, joke that I make of this is by saying this is where we pay the rent. Um, so we'll take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Averly, and my guest um, is Rob Gain. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rob Gain. Our topic is how class action lawsuits are organized. Rob, now let's talk about what leads to class actions, what they seem 
seek to achieve decisions expected from the court and their possible outcomes and implications. So first question then is what are the types of harm um, that typically lead to class actions? The wrong of harm. I'm not a lawyer, so I may not be talking, making sense, but harm, doing harm to somebody seems to me to be a wrong. Um, the type of harm that typically leads to class actions and what the class action suit seeks to achieve regarding that harm. Rob? Thanks. Um, the key in terms of the type of harm is that there must be a common experience for a class action to be possible. And there are a variety of subject matters where that common experience arises. Um, examples of the types of class actions that are uh, my firm and others have been involved in are uh, institutional abuse claims, uh, general professional negligence claims, consumer protection, so that would involve uh, a defective product, for example, uh, corporate misconduct um, in the securities realm, which would be market manipulation and misrepresentations for stock trading. Uh, pharmaceuticals and medical devices are a, a common area, and they're, it's easy to understand how the experience can be common there. Uh, a pharmaceutical company that makes a bad drug that's taken by a variety of people all has a common experience of having ingested that drug. And the same is true of medical devices such as hip implants and, and similar medical products. Uh, environmental uh, disasters um, also provide that common experience for, for people who have had harm done to them as a result of oil spills or uh, land contamination. Now, let's go to the question of what the objectives of class actions are. And I'm obviously addressing the kind of class actions that you've just been talking about. And, and then, please, can you explain to us what the types of decisions that the court will be asked to make? Rob? Certainly. Um, well, the, the objectives of class actions are, are clearly established in the legislation that governs them and the case law that's been established under them. And there are three principal purposes that underline the modern class action. Um, they are access to justice, behavior modification, and judicial economy. Dealing first with access to justice, it's the fundamental policy idea supporting class actions that they provide access to justice for a group of people who suffer this common wrong. Um, for example, numerous consumers are all injured by a negligently manufactured medical device, can sue for compensation for their personal injuries in a single proceeding. And there are, with Unfortunately, the provision of legal services in, in Canada is expensive and not everyone can afford to bring an action on their own. And there are essentially economic barriers uh, that exist for people to access the court system. 
There's the cost of obtaining legal services. The economics at issue could be you suffered a small injury, but the cost of bringing the case outweigh the economic benefit. And in some jurisdictions, like Ontario, uh, the plaintiff is exposed to adverse costs, which means if the plaintiff loses the lawsuit, they have to pay the defendant's legal expenses. And so class actions are designed in part to overcome these barriers, and they do so in a variety of ways. Um, Plaintiff class action lawyers work on what's known as contingency fees, which depicted in popular media is, if we don't win, you don't pay. Um, Oh, yeah. there's only the lawyers only get paid in the event that the class receives compensation. And second, by adding a group's individual claims that individually are not economically viable, you can bundle up a lot of small claims to make a single rather large claim that is economical to pursue. And Third, we deal with the uh, exposure of adverse costs for the plaintiff through a variety of ways, um, including counsel um, agreeing to pay the costs on the plaintiff's behalf. And then there are third-party funders, litigation funders, who will provide what's essentially an insurance policy uh, against those adverse costs. Right. And Rob, I'm just going I'll, to stop you, stop you there because I want to go on to the next question and we will, I think, be able to touch on what you've just been talking about um, in the next segment. But let me let me put this question to you. What are the objectives in the sense of what's being, what are people looking to achieve with class actions and what are the types of decisions that the court will be asked to make? Rob? So in terms of the objectives of a, of a plaintiff bringing a class action, it, they vary, but it, it basically boils down to two objectives. One, obtaining compensation for the wrong that's been done. And two, public recognition of the harm. And that often takes the form in uh, an apology or public recognition of what, what's happened. And um, my firm's been involved in a lot of the residential schools uh, and other institutional abuse claims where the financial compensation is always appreciated, but it's the either the Prime Minister or the Premier of Ontario rising in the House of Commons or the legislature and apologizing for the wrongs that have been done to these people and the public recognition that harm was visited upon them holds a tremendous value and it is a healing process to have that public vindication. That's a very, not going to comment on it, except to say what you just said, except to say the idea of it being a healing process is profoundly important, isn't it? Um, But let's, let me stay with this theme of questions. Now, Rob, 
what are the major outcomes of a class action and what are the implications of these outcomes? Now, you've already mentioned the sense of um, getting government or whoever to apologize. Um, but what are the other major outcomes of a class action and who's, who's, who's affected by these implications? Well, if the plaintiff has been successful um, in, any, in the same way in any private litigation, for example, there would be a trial, uh, possibly appeals, and various procedural wranglings and motions that would go along the way. And the courts would be called on to make decisions at each one of those points in the litigation process. So the people who are affected in, by, the, by the case are known as class members, and they meet a class definition, which describes who's bound by the lawsuit um, and who would be entitled to compensation should any be awarded at the end of the day. Um, Let me just sort of press you on a particular point. Well, what about the implications of the um, class action on, say, the government or whoever it was that was responsible for the running of the institution I was talking about before, which was a school or an institution for people with developmental disabilities? What are the outcomes for them? Um. One of the principles underlying class actions is behavior modification. And the outcome for the defendant is the notion that they have to change their behavior or they run the risk of being exposed to similar class actions in the future. And as much as we don't like to break it down into economics, but it has to be financially painful for them to not want to repeat the behavior. And it provides an example to others, other potential defendants out there that they need to be careful with how they run their institutions, how they develop and market their products, or how they conduct their financial disclosures in the securities realm because there's a procedural mechanism out there known as the class action that can bundle up small claims into a very large claim that makes it economically viable to pursue litigation against them. Right. Now, just as... Coming to the end of this particular segment, but just to say back to you, uh, the implications can be very wide indeed then uh, in the sense that others who weren't directly involved, manufacturers, um, physicians, others who are being trusted, um, should listen to what the class action findings are because if they don't, there are other things that may go wrong for them. Now, that perhaps isn't a very accurate 
explanation, but it's certainly something I understand and um, feel is in profoundly important. So let's go now into the um, into the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Adler, and my guest is Rob Gain. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rob Gaines. Our topic is how class action lawsuits are organized. Now, Rob, let's talk about the broader outcomes of a class action, the implications, who is affected by these implications, and out-of-court settlements. Now, I know we've already been discussing some of these things, but let's go into them because they're fundamentally important. In other words, it's going into the broader effects, which are profoundly important important to many people. So here's, here's the first question. What may be the broader social outcomes of a class action and what are the implications of these outcomes and for whom? Um, just to put it in a context, we could talk about institutional abuse claims and historical sexual assault claims because those have had a profound effect on not only the survivors of those institutions, but 
on the broader impact on those who design and run modern institutions, whether they be government, hospitals, uh, other healthcare facilities for the elderly, in ensuring that proper procedures, training, and resources are brought to bear on these institutions so that patients are properly protected and cared for. And Canada has a history of Indian residential schools that um, was the watershed moment when we realized as a country what horrible experiences and devastating consequences went on in these institutions. And by bringing a class action and shining a spotlight on what went on at these places was both a vindication for the survivors and victims of those institutions, but it also afforded the country with an opportunity to learn from the mistakes, to study and understand what went wrong, and to try to avoid the repetition in the future. And now, the, the, apologies, the apologies and vindications that come from class actions in these circumstances uh, greatly impact and have tremendous value to those people who have been marginalized by the system. And while people never say no to compensation, we often hear that the apology is worth more than the dollar value because it has that healing effect and the ability to, to know that now the public is aware of the atrocities that go on. Now, let me take you to, it's the same question, but with a different kind of focus, and that is, um, the broader health and safety outcomes of a class action. Um, what what may they be, and what are the implications of these outcomes, and for whom are these implications important? Health and safety outcomes. Rob? Certainly. Class actions that involve dangerous consumer products or medical devices or pharmaceuticals are examples where the behavior modification goals of a class action can help ensure uh, the broader health and safety that there are products in our communities and in our pharmacies that are safe for people to use. And it's an extra layer on top of the regulatory environment to ensure that the products and services are safe. Let me expand on that one a little bit, a little bit more. Um, that is to say, if people are um, concerned about the harm of a, a product, um, then 
they tend to avoid it. But if, on the other hand, this is particular product, and let's talk about a, a pharmaceutical product, uh, is promoted as the treatment for a particular condition, um, then people will perhaps continue to, to take it, even though it's capable of producing harm. And sometimes those, that harm is, as you know, are called side effects. What about this issue of side effects of medications that are given out with the proposition that there are, if not a cure, then certainly a treatment for a particular and discouraging kind of medical condition. Rob? Pharmaceuticals present uh, unique challenges because there are always going to be side effects to any medication. And you could not maintain a class action against a pharmaceutical company because you experienced one of the side effects that were disclosed as being a risk of taking the medication. But what can happen in pharmaceutical cases and medical device cases is that there, it turns out later that they didn't do sufficient studies that they started to see unknown side effects and unknown complications starting to occur in the public at increased rates beyond what would be normally acceptable. Uh, and then it becomes a question of what does the manufacturer do to remedy those, um, those consequences. And, for example, a pharmaceutical company can stop selling the medication and doctors would stop prescribing it and other medications might be substituted. But the more complicated case is medical devices where the product that we now know is no longer safe is physically implanted in someone and might not be able to be removed without causing additional harm. And those cases present um, unique challenges for physicians, regulators, and lawyers in the courts to sort out because, um, because of the broader health and safety issues and the risk to the public that exists with these products. Right. Now, next question is on a different track, but please explain to us what an out-of-court settlement actually is and what its implications are and for whom are those implications important? Out-of-court settlement. Rob? Um, an out-of-court settlement is just what it sounds like. It's an agreement between the parties to settle the action and to resolve the dispute. And this can take place at any point in time in the litigation stages. Uh, it's important, though, to, to get at the implication to compare it to a conventional litigation stream as opposed to a class action. So in conventional litigation, the parties directly affected bargain and enter into settlement consensually, right? You have the plaintiff and the defendant. They're the two people at issue. They negotiate back and forth and arrive at a deal. Uh, 
um, the dynamic is different in a class action. Since the representative plaintiff is not settling just their own case or negotiating for their own injuries, but are doing so on behalf of a collective, a large number of people. And the they're referred to as the absent class member, the people that aren't present. And as a plaintiff lawyer, we are very much aware and are very sensitive to the absent class member and making sure that they are protected. And with out-of-court settlement, um, in private litigation, they remain private. But there is no such thing as a private settlement of a class action because everything that as plaintiff's class counsel that we do has to be viewed uh, and supervised and approved of by the court. We are always subject to the court's approval for everything we do. We are held to very high standards in Ontario for um, arriving at settlement, and the court actually has to approve of the settlement. So, to use you know a colloquialism, there are no cheap settlements or sweetheart deals because a court would never approve them. We need to hard bargain and always do so at arm's length and ensure that we are achieving true results for the class because we have to shine the light on our settlement tactics once we reach a deal and all of the terms of the settlement are public and subject to comment by class members because there's a mechanism for them to come to court and object to the settlement, say it's not fair, it doesn't account for their circumstance and a court will hear them and rule on whether the settlement is appropriate or not. Right, right. That's the protection That's against the protection sweet deals for the class members. Yeah. Now it's time again to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Rob Gain. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM community radio and sharing the burden.ca please stay with us we're coming back ask the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com if you think you've seen online tv before let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Rob Gaines. Our topic is how class action lawsuits are organized. Rob, now let's talk about what people have to do to launch or join a class action, what you think about court out-of-court settlements, which you've actually explained already very well, and how class actions can influence government. So, Rob, what do people have to do to decide for themselves if they're interested in launching or joining a class action? Rob? Dealing with launching a class action, um, what's involved is hiring an experienced lawyer who has knowledge and experience in the areas of class actions because it is a very complicated procedural process uh, and the resources that are needed to prosecute a class action are tremendous and it's not the type of case that any firm or lawyer can simply take on. There are specialists in the area for a reason, um, and there are a lot of firms that specialize in it. So there is a healthy market out there for plaintiff-side representation. Um, so the first step is hiring an experienced lawyer who would investigate the, the harm and you would, uh, the plaintiff would have to agree to be the representative plaintiff, which is the person who stands in the shoes of everyone who's affected. And the class action regime imposes obligations on the person to act in the best interest of the class, to keep themselves informed and to provide meaningful instruction and supervision of the lawyers and to provide instructions and direct the litigation. So what that means is that it's a team effort between the lawyers and the person who wants to start the lawsuit in working up strategy, um, settlement negotiations, and the conduct of the case. Um, So there's the considerations that go along with that if you want your particular circumstance to be public. Um, with, with respect to joining a class action, it's not like you see in Hollywood movies in Ontario. There's no <laughs> need to sign up 
or to hire a lawyer in order to be part of a class action that's already ongoing. So what that means in, in Ontario, if you meet the definition of a class member, you are automatically included. Now, there's a mechanism under the legislation that if you do not wish to be included in the class action, there are steps that you can take to remove yourself from the case. But if you want to be in it, you're in it automatically. Got it. Now, I'm going to take you over to the next question, which is, once a class action is over, it's finished, what normally happens to the evidence that's been submitted to the court? And are there any circumstances in which the evidence could be destroyed? Rob? Um, I'd like to talk about the Feronia case that you mentioned at the beginning of, the, of this segment of the show. Um, evidence does not get destroyed. Uh, in fact, in class actions, the exact opposite can happen. Um, the, the settlement you mentioned in Feronia... Uh, is an example. As part of that settlement, copies of approximately 65,000 documents that were produced in the litigation have been transferred to the archives of Ontario, and they're made available online for free to anyone who wishes to access them, and that would include um, scholarly researchers as well. And the database that's been created with these 65,000 documents includes many of the key documents, ministry uh, policies, operational memoranda, uh, staffing reports, inspection and investigation documents, and a whole litany of, of evidence that would have been adduced at the trial. Um, it was part of the settlement negotiation that these documents be made available. Right. And so that the public could access them uh, for free through the Internet. Very powerful. Very powerful indeed. Now, this is the last question. Um, and it does raise something that we've already discussed. And it's really me asking you for your opinion about something. So let me put it to you this way. What do you see as the influence of class action suits on governments in Canada in areas such as healthcare? Um, in, in healthcare, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because there's both the federal government and the provincial government who are involved. And the influences that a class action can have can be both direct and indirect. So let's talk about the direct effects on the federal government first. Uh, my firm actually recently commenced an action involving prisoners' mental health. So we're suing the federal government in connection with issues surrounding the mental health of prisoners in federal institutions. And we are alleging systemic over-reliance on solitary confinement and failure to provide adequate health care to mentally ill prisoners incarcerated in the penitentiary system. So this case could result in significant changes to how the federal government provides health care in prison. And the indirect effect um, on health care is 
we've been involved in the exposure to infectious diseases class actions. So we've sued hospitals for the exposure to infectious diseases in hospital waiting rooms. For example, when uh, a diagnosed patient with tuberculosis is, is left unattended and possibly spreading the disease around the hospital without the hospital taking appropriate steps to ensure the safety of its facilities. Um, so there, the, the concurrent uh, responsibility for provincial and federal governments in healthcare provides uh, a, a great variety of opportunities for class actions to influence uh, the behavior and the organization of hospitals, institutions, prisons, and anywhere else that healthcare professionals come into contact with patients. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this um, episode. So, first off, thank you, Rob, and thank you in particular for making clear so many of the key points so that family caregivers, our audience, and their family members who may be interested in or thinking that they've been subjected to some kind of harm or wrong uh, that affects them, um, can listen to and understand themselves how to go ahead or not go ahead with getting involved or taking a class action, uh, action so to speak, on their own behalf. So th this, I'm speaking to you now as somebody with a sort of vaguely political background. This is a profoundly important social movement, um, particularly in healthcare, where I'm a retired physician, you know, physicians uh, tend to know a lot, if not everything. And... Um, the idea that there's an, a bigger accountability out there and that if things go wrong, you will be affected is, is extremely important. So, Rob, thank you for that. I want to say thank you to our listeners. And if you have questions, dear listeners, um, you want to ask questions of Rob, here's the email address to use. It's mine. Doc G at Family Caregivers Unite, that's all one word, dot org. Doc G at Family Caregivers Unite dot org. Please email me and I'll pass your questions or queries or comments on, on to Rob. And also to our listeners, please join us for our next episode, which is called Genetic Manipulation for Individuals and Their Families and Family Caregivers. Please join us for our next episode. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 